This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom everybody. Today we're going to be discussing how to make a difference for a human being in your life. Human beings are, on the one hand, very fortified in their resolve, their worldviews. On the other hand, human beings are open and influenceable. Of course, who has the patent on reality to decide they're the ones to influence others? That's, uh, you know, obviously that's a question that needs to be considered because in every discussion, in every debate, in every conflict, there's there's two sides, and often both sides are are felt. You know, both sides feel conviction <clears throat> about their position. As observant Jews, our belief that Torah is true and is the <clears throat> the gift of God, it's the wisdom of the creator of heaven and earth. Also in Judaism, we believe that there is a God. Maybe we should go the opposite order. <clears throat> in Judaism, we believe and know that there is a God and we also believe and know that there is a Torah that is a true uh, expression of God's will and wisdom. Given those things to be true, given God to be real, and given Torah to be true, what that does is it creates for us an imperative to keep Judaism, to keep its laws. And that's why you'll notice that observant Jews, they're not very flexible when it comes to Torah law. They're just not very flexible about that. And it's really strange for people who are not observant. Like, what is wrong with these people? Like, why can't they bend? We all bend on all kinds of stuff. I mean, everyone's, you know, Gumby out there, you know, bent in a million directions. While we have, like, we're just not going to bend there. And, And they really know us that way, too. To the point where, like, they'll apologize for random stuff when they're around us. You know, secular Jews will apologize for random stuff, thinking that they just must be offending us in some way because we're so rigid. And they're surprised to find out we're actually slow. We're actually. They're surprised to find out that we're actually so flexible. <laughs> but when it hits halacha, when it hits Jewish law, when it hits Torah, all of a sudden we're rigid again. The only reason we're rigid is because we hold it to be self-evident that God exists and that Torah is God's word. And we don't hold it just as a belief, but we hold it as a reality. Other religions in the world, they believe things. They believe someone said such and such and such and such. We, on the other hand, are just aligning ourselves with history. In fact, someone came up to me yesterday and said, uh, so... Do you know any non-religious Jews? Oh, he was videoing me for uh, some kind of outreach purpose. He says, so, do you know any non-religious Jews? I said, well, uh, you got me, for example. (laughs) What do you mean me? Uh, He said, what do you mean you? And I said, I'm not a religious Jew. I'm an observant Jew. To me... Religious people are people who believe in things that have no real basis, but they would like to believe in them. And, you know, you add millions of people believing it together, so it kind of creates a propensity to believe anything, as we all know, 70 years after the Holocaust. 
the difference between a religion and a cult the difference between a religion and a cult is the amount of people keeping it I know a lot of people think the difference between a religion and a cult is all kinds of other influencing factors that a cult might do to get you to believe but religions do the same exact things and nothing is a bigger influencer than a large group belief the, diff- the true difference between a religion and a cult is the number of people following it and if you take any world religion and you boil it down to 10 people you will find that you that it, you will find that it is a cult one person believing something or saying something one person saying and nine people believing just add people a million two million a billion and it suddenly gets the legitimizing term called religion and so many Jews today especially in America more than anywhere else have this this misconception this loss of 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 understanding I'm talking about observant Jews have a loss of understanding and call themselves religious Jews but the second you call yourself religious Jews you have now put yourself within the realm of the world's religions and so now it's no longer based on truth it's just based on the fact that that's what we do and it, once you're doing thing because once you're doing things because that's what we do two things take place one you become a, a religious person like any other religious person and two you release your Olam Haba you let go of your Olam Haba now I imagine for you people you're looking at me like what like when I become a religious Jew I lose my Olam Haba would you like me to explain why becoming a religious Jew or being a religious Jew can make you lose your Olam Haba anyone interested in that because I imagine you'd be a little nervous because if you've been seeing yourself all this time as a religious Jew and what is the definition shall I say it again what their definition is definition of religious Jew is I'm keeping Judaism because that's what Jews do how many people are like that you could say most of Borough Park is living this way most of Muncie is living this way and plenty of people in Israel are living this way too because if you keep Judaism because that's what Jews do well Christians do what they do because that's what Christians do and Muslims do what they do because that's what Muslims do and Mormons do what they do because that's what Mormons do and Hindus do what they do because that's what Hindus do and Buddhists do what they do because that's what Buddhists do so you do this because this is what Jews do that's a religious Jew why do you lose your Olam Hava over that because in the Olam Emes you only get reward for what you do the Emes it's just the way it is it's a very tough fact I know it doesn't sound nice it's certainly not PC and uh, you know all warm and fuzzy and religious but I'm sorry to say and I'm scared to say because I don't know where I'm at but the only currency in the next world called the Olam Ha-Emes is whatever you do the Emes you do it for other reasons it just doesn't register there won't be anything there for you 
you do it because of the emiss of the reality of it, then it has full currency. You do it because it's emiss and other things, so what will be removed is the other things. And what you wind up is whatever remnant of emiss there is there. Uh, the only thing that's there is the emiss. imagine a person who was secular who was always like doing big chesed kindness and you know all kinds of things running programs and he just in his heart he just thought it's right it's right it's true like you just got to do this and so meanwhile he's just stacking up the reward later he becomes an observant Jew keeps doing all the good stuff too he gets up to Olam Hav and he finds out that that he only got rewarded for all the good stuff he did before he became religious and everything else was just like him becoming a religious man Religion. Judaism is not religion. When you boil Judaism down from 13, 14 million people, we've been 18 million at times in history, we always remain few in number. But when you boil it down to its actual origins, you get 3 million people standing at a mountain in a full surround sound, Omnimax, 3D, THX sound, Sinai experience. And the rest is history. Meaning quite literally, the rest is just our history. And we're aligning with that history. And as you align with that history and you live that history, with the knowledge that this is the emiss and then you do the actions of Torah and mitzvahs, the emiss, that's your reward. That's your reward. That's your olam haba. That's the currency for the next world. Learning Torah's emiss is one of the biggest things you can do. Torah's emiss, Talmud Torah. Because you're, you're, you're interfacing with nevuah when you learn. So that's like the, of the highest. It's the fabric of the Olam Haba. It's called Teres So you're learning the Teres All that time you're learning Teres you're you are interfacing with the actual fabric of Olam Haba itself. That is the Olam Haba itself. I mean, no wonder it's Talmud Torah Kinegulam, and no wonder everyone learns the way they learn. Did you know that that Gentiles who die in like car accidents and stuff and, and they get brought back to life with the PJCs, the people jumper cables did you know that when they come back to life it doesn't matter if he was a trash man, a painter a, a musician, whatever they did they suddenly have this gigantic and voracious appetite for wisdom and they spend the rest of their lives studying, every one of them check it out it could have been the person with the least relationship to wisdom before they were you know, killed in the crash. And then the paramedics bring them back to life. And the next thing you know, their library just starts building and building and building and building and building. They say that, <laughs> this is Goyim, they say, Gentiles say, that the next world, this is the things I've heard in some of the testimonials. They say that it's filled with buildings, that the buildings themselves are made of wisdom. And inside the buildings is all the wisdom that you learn. And based on your wisdom that you have in this world is your access there. 
And so when they come back, all they want to do is read. They'll still make a living. Many of them trade their living. If they had a selfish living, by the way, it's just a side point. That if they had a selfish living, they'll actually go into a, a giving living, meaning more of a service-oriented uh, livelihood. As a result of all that I've shared, it's more understood now, the, the conviction we have and the care we take and what looks rigid from outside is not rigid from inside. We're not being rigid, we're just being aligned. We're being aligned with certain realities that are non-negotiables so when the outside world thinks we should somehow compromise, when it comes to things that, that are in conflict, in conflict with halacha, we just don't go there because we don't believe this place was real to begin with. We never saw this place as real to begin with. Interestingly, the difference between my upbringing, because I was raised secular, and I think most of the people in this room were raised observant. Um, if you've been in America for a while, like my family, because my father, my grandfather, he and my on both sides of my family, they uh, they left Europe before the war, and they were here during the Great Depression, and here in the U.S. That is, and in the U.S. they were, you know, there was extreme pressure to to break Shabbos. And there was extreme pressure to work on Shabbos, not to just break it, but to work on Shabbos. No one wanted to break Shabbos, but it's a real world. you got to feed your kids. But there were other people who, probably most of you in this room, who were raised observant. There were other people who today you meet who were raised observant, whose great-great-grandparents or great-grandparents were also here. And if you were raised observant, they said, during the Great Depression and other times of pressure, they said, huh, it's a good thing the world's an illusion, or else I'd be working on Shabbos to feed my kids. And so they didn't mind losing their job every week for Shabbos. There was some kind of pink little slip paper that you'd get when you lost your job. And there was one, uh, there was one Hasid who used to, that was the decorations of his sukkah, meaning his whole sukkah was the pink slips of all the jobs he lost. Every sukkah he would decorate his sukkah. I forget who it was. But he would decorate his sukkah with all the pink slips of all the times he lost his job. In Yerushalayim, we had a great tzaddik named Rav Moshe Iron Stern. An American-born man um, who was a mamish zecher tzaddik kodesh levacha, amazing yid. He was the the mashkiach of Kamenitz yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. He said that his father lost his job every single week, and he remembers 
At one point, his father finally got a boss who would let him keep his job, even if he kept Shabbos, but he's only allowed to leave at Shkia. The problem was he didn't live anywhere near his work. So it was a two-hour-plus walk every single Friday to get home. He'd never walked it before. It was a train ride. It was like two and a half hours, something like that, every single Friday to get home. So in the winter Shabbases, he would be sometimes coming home in a blizzard. And he'll never forget his father's face, one particular blizzard, when he walked through the door. And his beard, his eyes, his face, everything besides one little slit was just ice up and down his entire body. And this ice man came in the door and it took them, he said it took them like another hour or two just to thaw him out so that he could come to the Shabbos table. And he said a vision like that was all you needed to keep Shabbos with conviction forever. <clears throat> Meanwhile, our Zadis, meaning our, people raised secular like me, our Zadis were like, you know, I love Shabbos, but what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? got to feed the kids. Like, be realistic. But that's realistic with lowercase r. That's realistic with looking at this world. But the capital R, being realistic, meaning being real, is that this world's an illusion. And though it looks like I should be working on Shabbos, I'll just take the, I'll take the, the, um, the, uh, the, um, what do you call it, the, how would I say, firing? Uh, I'll be, I'll take being fired. I'll take being fired. non-negotiables because of the reality of Torah the reality of God the reality of God the reality of Torah and it's amazing that the generation of Bali Chuva which is an un, it was an unprecedented gigantic wave that hit in 1967 it all began and interestingly you know when it all began it, it, there was a date do you know the Bali Chuva movement had a date yeah, what was the date? In? June, 5th. June 5th, 1967. Did you know it had a date? <laughs> Most people don't know. The Baal Tshuva movement, the call back to Torah of secular Jews was June 5th, 1967. And you know what June 5th was, 1967? It was the sixth day of the sixth sphera. Yisod, Shebi Yisod, when the sixth day war began. The sixth day of the sixth fear of the sixth day war. Six, six, six. <laughs> sixth day, the sixth fear, sixth day war. God opened something up there. And God created at that point a beer, a beer like Borer, where God created the final Borer of who will be around during times of Mashiach. You'll see things have changed very much because the aperture that was created then has now is now going like this. And now it's about like right there. So when I try to express to you the urgency of every last Jew, because this is the last who's the last Jews jumping in? Because we're there. We are there right now. 
This is your last chance. And you can do radical things right now. Because if God wants someone in, you, you can just go ahead and tell the guy, like, you in? Most guys today will say no. But you never know. This is the last chance. Because it's been closing. closing. I, I'm, I'm in Jerusalem meeting these groups. I am in the forefront, as forefront as you can get. Not to mention traveling to meet the kids around the world. I've been watching the aperture. I've been watching the the portal shut down. And it's been shutting and shutting and shutting and shutting and shutting. But it blew wide open on the sixth day of the sixth sphere when the sixth day war happened. Blew wide open. from that group of people that said we don't believe this world's real we don't believe this world's real you want to hear something very interesting I didn't get to be part of 67 I was born in 68 I was a little kid throughout the 70s so I have no concept of any of this but if you look at those dates you'll notice something very very interesting it was during those dates that the U.S. youth, I'm talking about teenagers, but later teens, like 15 to early 20s, it was during those days that the U.S. youth, anyone know anything about those dates? What was going on over in Vietnam? What was going on with the kids in America? It's the flower children who were involved in, and there's a very important and subtle point that most people don't know anything about. And I was just a little tiny kid at the time, so I didn't get to be privy to this. But they were all involved with shamanistic substances that happened to exist all over the world, meaning every continent. God has put in every continent substances that leaders of tribes throughout the planet the leaders of the tribes were were vested with the responsibility of administering substances that the around bar mitzvah age, the bar bat mitzvah age, the the member of that tribe had to ingest it. You have to ingest a tea or a bark or whatever it was. You had to ingest it, and then it would take you on a wild journey for I don't know. 10 hours, 12 hours, days. Some of them are days. There's a bark in Africa, it's three days. But this has been going on for thousands of years and God put this stuff in the world for these medicine chiefs to lead the tribe and also to make sure every member of the tribe knows this world is not real. Get the connection? It's to show every single member of the tribe, you'll never have to convince any single person in your tribe, no man, no woman, and no child, obviously above the age. They only would do it at bar mitzvah age as a rite of passage. But you never had to convince someone that this world was real. And then they always stayed true to their mystical traditions of the underlying fabric of reality beyond this world. And they were the leaders. And it's so amazing that in Judaism, it's the same exact thing. Now, we, of course, don't ingest these substances because we have nevuah. 
We're the children of Nevi'im. I mean, the Nevi'im makes, makes this stuff look like vitamin C. Nevua. We're the children of Nevi'im. We're not the children of, of uh, people who ingest something and all of a sudden are transported beyond, beyond the physical, but how far are they really going to go? I mean, you'd go insane if you saw even the lowest step, the lowest stage of Olam Haba, meaning when you go to Gan Eden, but when you go there, the lowest, let's just say you didn't do many mitzvahs and you kind of got stuck in a low realm. If, if you were made privy right now, right now, if I could just like snap and you were made privy to that low realm of Olam Haba, that you'll wind up in, let's say, if you didn't do a lot of mitzvahs, and then I snap again, you come back here, you would be a vegetable for the rest of your life. You'd be completely and totally out of your kalim. We'd be helping you to go to the bathroom for the rest of your life. There is no way to even get a glimpse of it and come back here and be able to function as a human being. It's wild to think about because a lot of us don't consider ourselves, I mean, I consider myself a bit of a heavyweight, but we don't consider ourselves spiritual heavyweights. And you're busy making your chalas and your yechesed and you're, you're doing all these mitzvahs. You have no idea what you're creating for yourselves is something that if you were to apprehend it now and then come back, you'd be a vegetable for the rest of your life. You'd never, ever be able to do another thing. You couldn't get a fork to your mouth for the rest of your life. It is so intense and so heavy. And that's what I'm saying. Why am I making this point? Is because the shamanistic cultures, the, all these tribes throughout the whole planet, when they administered this thing, it was only to show them something, not to make them insane. It was just a glimpse. A glimpse at something beyond this realm. So that the tribe would have, would have direction and not be fooled into the thin veneer that covers up reality. Of course God put that in creation. You can't have the entire world without a compass. But of course, then there was Western man, Western people, Yavan, Greece, Rome, ancient Europe, modern Europe. Control, 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 control the minds. Make them think this world's it. Influence them, influence them, influence them, influence them. Let them think this world's it. Take over their minds and make them think that this world's all you get. And then you can control them. tribes and they butchered Jews and they they mowed through the world they just mowed the world with the cold rigid physical properties of the thin veneer that they call reality If you go back to 1967 
you will find that previous to that in the 50s, psychologists and scientists were experimenting with the compounds, chemical compounds, that they discovered in laboratories that are just recreations of those very substances that the tribes ingest. They actually created it in laboratories and realized it's basically free. That the stuff's actually free. And for some reason, I don't know what happened, but God knows what happened. On the sixth day of the sixth week of the counting of the spheros, when the six-day war happened in Israel, that stuff that had been only experimental in the laboratories of the U.S. all of a sudden hit the streets and every kid was on this stuff. And suddenly the entire young population of the U.S. got to see the other side. And immediately, boom, the Balchuva movement hits. The aperture is blown wide open. Everybody's in. And it was like natural. It was natural. Because, hey, now that I know this world's not in, this world's a thin veneer. And now I get to meet some Jew, because everyone knew a Jew, especially in the East Coast. And they meet some Jew, and the Jew's talking about things beyond space and time. And this holy hippie's like, I get that. Oh, yeah. I'm in. Things beyond space and time? I've had a first-hand glimpse. I'm in. One after the other after the other. I remember I was teaching a class years later. I was teaching a class in Asia Terra. And there were 30 boys in the class. And there was a boy in the class who had a Christian background, and I happened to know there was another boy in the class with a Christian background. They were both Jewish. I mean, their mothers were Jewish, but they were raised Christians. And a kid raises his hand, and he says, you know, I was raised Christian, and we were church-going Christians, and and uh, one day I ingested one of these, uh, I think, I don't know, it was a mushroom or it was uh, something, he ingested something. And I came back six hours later, and I was no longer a Christian. That would not that would no longer be possible to be a Christian after that. And I just searched and searched what's on the other side of this place because I just saw it. And here he was in a keeper and sits us in my class. And all of a sudden, this other Christian that I was the only one who knew, he raised his hand and finally like confessed to everybody that he was raised Christian because it was my class. It's, you know, it's a whole semester. He raised his hand. He said, you know what? I can't believe this, but I was raised Christian. And I also ingested one of these. And ever since then, I couldn't be a Christian. And so I just searched what's reality. And I found Torah. And I became Jewish. Even though his mother was Jewish, but I became Jewish. And I was like, what in the world's going on here? I said, Can I please have a showing of hands of it? who in this room? ever experienced one of these shamanistic substances? Guess what happened? The entire room goes like this. The entire room, 30 men in the room, every single one of them raises his hand 
And they're all sitting in front of me in kippahs and sitsas, keeping Torah. Dedicated Bali Chuba. What? But if you've understood anything I've said today, you understand that we are not a religion. The world's religions are involved in God knows what. I'm not even interested to know. But one thing for sure, this is not based on any real reality. The mystical traditions throughout the world, they are based on things that are based in reality. It just so happens that they only get to see a little glimpse of it, so they wind up, they almost always wind up being involved in deities. Because right on the other side of this is a world called Yitzira. But, I'm sorry, right on the other side of this are other levels of what's called a Sia. We're in a Sia, but we're at the bottom. And there's other levels of a Sia. And in those levels of a Sia, there's like incredible, incredible, like mind-boggling amounts of uh, detail. And that detail's very much alive. Very much alive. And so that's what they relate to, meaning they don't understand how to have a relationship with God. They are, they are generally... Um, all those tribal cultures are almost all deistic, meaning they, have, they see the, the other side of, meaning the higher levels of Asiya as full of deities. And so that's where they pay their homage. They believe there's something above it all, but they never, they never got to meet them. The Jews are the chutzpah. You know, we, we think you could have a relationship with it. Why? Because we have one because of what happened at Sinai. No Sinai, no relationship. The only reason we walk around with the concept of an involved creator is because we met him firsthand. God showed us. He ripped away all the veils at Sinai and showed us everything. Whereas the people of the West are here to destroy us. Because you can't control someone who realizes that this world's not real. Because they'll realize, not only do you realize this world's not real, but you also realize all the limitations that you ever had about yourself, of who you are, your own self-image, is also not real. Who you think you are isn't true. That's actually your edge. Your self-image isn't where you start. Your self-image is where you end. When someone asks you, to, oh, can you help us do such and such, and you're like, whoa, I'm not doing that. That's your self-image in the way. That's your self-image that stops you. And that's one more victory for the West and one more loss for Israel. When you can't step up and make that difference, that's one more victory for the West because... Again, the West says this world's it. And the West would say on a personal level that your self-image is it. That's where you end. That's your border. That's your edge. We're neshama dikiyin. We're neshamas. Neshamas don't have edge. There's no edge to a neshama. And when you relate to yourself as an neshama, there's nowhere you stop. You don't stop anywhere. You are gigantic. And therefore, whoever God calls you into being, in any given circumstance, you are. 
whomever God calls you into being in any given circumstance, okay, like Moshe Rabbeinu, he's like, I'm a shepherd, I shepherd sheep. That's my job, that's my edge. And God says, okay, I'm not asking you not to be a shepherd. I'm just saying, why don't you go shepherd the Jews instead of the sheep? Okay, you develop great skills. Let my people go. Go take the Jews out of Egypt. And Moses was, okay, he argued a bit. Maybe that was his bureau of his self-image, but he went and he brought the Jews out of Egypt, didn't he? Because he realized at that point, I don't know if he knew before, but he definitely knew at that burning bush. He definitely knew right then that this world's not real, and if this world's not real, then I'm not real. My self-image is a joke. It's just where I'm limited. It's my self-imposed edge. My self-imposed limitations. Well, when you realize that you don't have an edge, good luck governing you. It's impossible to govern people who think they don't have an edge. It's impossible to govern big people. Look at the history of the world. They have locked up every big thinker in the world. Anyone who was a big thinker in the Soviet Union, they're gone. They disappeared. You can't govern big people. And therefore, the Jewish people have been in the biggest conflict with governments. We make every other people a total nothing compared to what we have been through with governments of the world. I know we all call that, oh, our history of anti-Semitism. No, it's our conflict with the governments. Because if you have an entire population, I don't care if it's a small population or a big population, but when you have a concentrated population of people, who every single one of them sees themselves without limit, because they are Torah-Yidin and Torah-Yidin. They, they, they don't have an edge. You can't govern those people. They're ungovernable. And the governments had to do something, and they did. And we've been through hell and high water as a result. But we don't stop at anything. And you know, we hear the news about the Haredim in Israel, the ultra-Orthodox fighting with the Israeli government over this and over that. They like can never get along. And people are like, can't they, can't those Haredim just like cooperate? The answer is no. Not after 3,328 years of being limitless people. And then you want to come as Jews to govern them? Don't you know who you are? You're also these giant people. No, you can't. No, we're not going to get along. Our whole job in this world is to train the planet on how great they are, how big they are, how limitless we are. What a difference we can make in this world by being big, because you can't make a difference when you're small. You all know that when you live based on your self-image, you know you play small. You're always playing small. When your self-image has got you by the neck, when your self-image is mopping the floor with you, you know you play small. 
by the way, this, uh, the, the, um, the stuff that the scientists in the 50s were able to, the compounds they were able to create of these shamanistic substances, do you know what the U.S. law is? You want to hear something crazy? You know what the U.S. law is for possessing it? I mean, it whatever, you get pulled over and they're like, hey, what's in, what's, what's in the bag over there? And you're like, like oh, nothing. And anyway, let's say they find it, and now you're being prosecuted about it. Guess you know what the law is called? You know what it's called? I mean, you imagine it's similar to every other types of drugs that you might get caught with. No, totally separate law. You ready for it? And it's 25 years plus. Do you hear that? It's 25 years plus in jail for something that's non-addictive, uh, no side effects, uh, no long-term at all, even the next day the person's totally fine. 25 years plus. And you know what the law is called? Conspiracy for overthrowing the government. <laughs> what? <laughs> the weirdest thing in the world. That's what it's called, literally. The people go to court, I have to deal with students going to court for these things. Conspiracy for overthrowing the government. of all the most bizarre things in the world. Someone can get caught with heroin, with cocaine, with pot, with you name it. You know, okay. They were busted. You get caught with this little thing. You've been caught with conspiracy for overthrowing the government. Why? Because it makes people big. And you can't govern big people and they had to make that illegal which is pretty weird in a place that's supposed to be one of the amendments which amendment is life liberty and pursuit of happiness which one is that oh that's just part of the declaration of independence I don't know any of this stuff whatever happened to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness like certainly not going to you, if you ever tried this stuff you certainly would never bother anybody <laughs> the last thing you would do with that would be to bother somebody if, if the, the worst thing you could ever do to someone on this stuff is give them a hug hand them a flower <sighs> to be a Jew is to be someone who's involved with a conspiracy to overthrow the government. <laughs> That's the issue. They can't govern us. We're ungovernable. Jews are ungovernable. But the problem is, is the Jews have been being such little good boys and girls in America that we are quite governable. And in fact, you can even find Jews who think they're religious. Religious Jews. Bad idea. Stay away from being a religious Jew and stay away from being governable and stay away from calling yourself Western. Stay away from calling Judaism a Western tradition. How do they call it? A Judeo, Judeo-Christian uh, tradition or a, a Western tradition. Judaism, one of, the, one of the world's Western religions. That's not us. 
I'll just share with you one more tidbit because I've given you so much information already, but I'd just like to share with you one more thing is that when they made it illegal, so of the greatest geniuses of the whole group of all these holy hippies, you know, bell bottoms and like, you know, tie dyes and beads and like, but the geniuses of the hippies, they said, oh, it's illegal? Oh, okay. Uh, Gee, uh, we'll have to find something else to do. Um, I know. Let's develop personal computers. Okay, the government said, that looks pretty harmless. Help yourselves. But I suggest to anyone to Google founders of IBM, founders of Microsoft, founders of Apple. You just Google them and look at the pictures of those guys. I mean, those guys' bloodstream could turn on the whole U.S. Ah, personal computers. We'll just make these. I remember I got one of those personal computers. It was like floppy disk thing. And the, oh my god, there were, I remember I had four uh, megabytes. Was it four megabytes? <laughs> That's how much it had. Four megabytes. And oh, I remember like four wasn't enough. So it's not like I bought a new computer with eight. I got what was called a RAM doubler. <laughs> Didn't quite run like an eight, but it doubled it to eight megabytes. Can you imagine a computer, a personal computer with eight megabytes? That's what I had. I had a, I had a RAM doubler. Looks harmless enough. Government let them go. And so they started building and building. They got more powerful. Eight megabytes, 16 megabytes, 32 megabytes. 64 megabytes. Whoa. And it got bigger and bigger. And, they, and the, meaning the megabytes got bigger, the computers got smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden, laptops. You can walk around with all this power. A laptop, you can walk around with like all this information available. And you can actually start sending out information. Internet came up. Internet. You can actually move across the globe with this stuff. You say things and it shoots across the world like that. You got ideas, it hits. And then it got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And the next thing you know, you're overthrowing governments. take the LSD out of the hippie, but you can't take the conspiracy to overthrow the governments out. They took down Egypt with that thing. They took down, uh, where was uh, Libya with those things? They turned Syria into a living hell with those things. And they just went from country to country. Because you can't keep a person small. And that's the goal of every government, is to make us nice and small and nice and governable. And the same people of those 60s, they created a monstrous device that you can overthrow the governments of the world with these things. And the U.S. watched this happen, and they immediately realized, uh-oh, we're in a race. We're in a race. There will be the power of the individual who can move very fast with these things. And our job, and they called it the NSC, is that what that's called? NSA. NSA. 
We're going to create a government body called the NSA, and we are going to win. And they've been in a race. And there was one very rebellious guy by the name of Snowden, who fought for our side, so to speak. So to speak. I mean, I don't know all the controversy around Snowden, but he fought for our side. When I say our side, I mean the people. And the government, you know how they felt about him. We're in a race. And in fact, last week in the whole news about those, the, the terrorists in Southern California, they got a hold of one of their iPhones. And Apple refuses to unlock it. And the FBI and the government, it's become this giant debate amongst the tech world. How dare we let them? How dare we let them? And what's the big deal? Have, you, have any of you thought about, I don't know if you know about the news about that. It's been the major news story. Have you ever thought about it? Unlock their phone. You don't have to unlock every phone. And let Apple unlock the phone and give over the information. What's the big deal? Just let Apple unlock the silly phone. Bring in an FBI agent to show them the information. It's over. Why did it have to mushroom like this into this crazy debate? There's no reason for it. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Unlock the silly phone. Get the information and give it over. Why? Why did these high-tech firms make it a fight? And now you all know why. Because this, this is a fight to the end of the bigness of individuals versus the crushing, frozen, ice-cold, blistery Western civilization that is built to crush the individual and to control. May we be blessed as the Jewish people to be people who are aligned with reality. This whole world that we have lived for thousands of years now with lives aligned with the real reality, meaning way beyond the thin levels of Asiya. But we're talking all the way up through the levels of Yitzira, which as I said, you see that's, that's where Gan Eden Tachton is. Gan Eden Tachton. The lower Gan Eden is in uh, is Yitzira, which as I said, if you saw that and came back, you wouldn't be able to brush your teeth. And then there's Gan Eden Elyon. And every yard site, by the way, you go up. Gan Eden Elyon, which is all about Berea. And then above Gan Eden Elyon, no one gets to go up there, is Olam HaAtzilus. And above Olam HaAtzilus is the Olam called Adam Kadmain. And above all of that came down the Torah. And the actual Torah is the fabric, the actual fabric of this very world. It's the fabric of our world. You can't see it. But it's cool when you learn the Torah codes. You realize, oh my gosh, <laughs> like this embedded in the Torah is 9-11. This week's Parsha. 9-11 was this week's Parsha. All the codes that were only around 9-11 are all where it says, Kishlosha Elif Ish at the Cheda Egel. The Cheda Egel, the Cheda the western buildings of power the, the artery of America 
power, Western crushing power. They're taken down. The Eglazahav gets crushed. You know, to this day, they still don't know the actual numbers. They say, like 3,000, right now it's 2,998. That's the number. It's been down, it's been up. And every single code surrounding everything you could add. Osama bin Laden, you know, the, uh, the flight names, the flight numbers, the Binyane Hatumim, the Twin Towers. It's all just surrounding the words. It's all in the Parsha. You realize this is statistically impossible to look for these codes. They should be smattered all over the Torah. How did they all wind up? Right around Eglazahav, Kishloshelafish. So the Torah itself is the fabric of creation. May we be aligned to that. May we stop being religious Jews and may we start being observant Jews. May we start being emesdic Jews. Jews are connected to truth, emes. And when you're connected to emes, so then you're involved in the actual fibers of the creation itself. And so then when you pass away and you go into the higher levels of the world's you're going to reap the benefits of living in this world based on MS. And when God calls upon us, because right now you have a body, you're still incarnate. While you have this body, may you be a vessel for God. Not someone with his self-imposed limitations. Not someone with all these, you know, well, this is who I am, and I, I really, I can't do that then God doesn't have you. You're not a vessel. You're just a giant protective device to somehow protect yourself from feeling rejected, feeling failure, feeling out of control, feeling fear of the unknown, feeling the fear of pain and suffering. God doesn't have you, so may you be blessed to be someone who's a clee for Hashem, who realizes that you are limitless because you're a neshama. You have a body, but you are neshama. You have a self-image, but you are the awareness of that self-image. And you can just go, and be big. And may we all see, based on the emis, may we get to the other end of this insane story called planet Earth and get to the other side, to the oilama emis, which is in this world only way beyond this world of Bayes Shlishi Mashiach times may we get to the Mashiach times and finally be able to dance with the Neshamas and with Hashem in Yerushalayim with the Goyal Tzedek the Kalhoiv Mamesh Amen You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.